0: We are starting a new series today, a brand new series, and we couldn't be more excited about this, and I want to tell you that this series, over the next four weeks, is going to change your life. Uh, I, I don't say that because I'm preaching or because we've prepared it together with, with excitement. No, but the Word of God is, is in season. It's a of word that's going to come and penetrate your soul, and I believe it's going to do something in us as we respond to it with faith that we've never imagined, So I'm excited, that's a disclaimer, cancel your plans the next four Sundays, make sure you are at church online, you don't want to miss it, and here's even better news, the adventure starts today. I believe today is the day of breakthrough, today is the day of salvation, and this is what God is going to do in your life, in my life as I preach. So really excited to do this together, it's really, really good. Just some context about the series, we're basing it out of uh, one verse in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 12, which we'll get to now. But the context of Zechariah, this prophet and priest who who features in the Old Testament, he's prophesying, he prophesies this powerful one-line verse that we want to embed deep into your hearts during the series. He's doing this at the back end of 70 years of exile in a foreign land for the Jewish people. For the nation of Israel has been taken into captivity by an opposing nation, an evil nation called Babylon, and they've lived there for 70 years. Uh, In in biblical times, that's a generation. A whole generation has gone into exile, and many have lived there and died there. But now after 70 years of of imprisonment, of, of, of being tortured, of being blamed, of losing all their livelihoods, now they're returning back to Jerusalem. And what is supposed to be an exciting time, what is supposed to be a joyful time, a celebration, is one filled with disappointment because as they arrive back in Jerusalem, they found the walls are destroyed, the, the relationships and the businesses and the economies and the dreams they once held dear, they've all been reduced to rubble and there's a long journey ahead of them. And I don't know if about you, but that sounds pretty familiar, pretty familiar to what we're facing now. Maybe our lockdown of three, four months wasn't quite 70 years, but it feels something similar. That we've been in captivity and lockdown and on the other side of it we're coming out but with a bit of disillusionment and a bit of despondency and disappointment and what lies ahead. But it's into this atmosphere that the incredible prophet Zechariah comes in in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 12 and he says these words, he says, return to the stronghold, return to the stronghold O you prisoners of hope. Prisoners of Hope, the title of our series. And what an incredible title, Prisoners of Hope. It's almost an oxymoron. The two words almost don't seem to fit together. Because as I understand it, the word prisoner, I think too many of us are prisoners of our past. We're constrained to our past. We are tied down to our past. We can't move away from that thing that always haunts us. Or we're prisoners of our pain, prisoners of our prejudice, prisoners of our fears, prisoners to our failures, prisoners to our frustrations, but Zechariah is declaring, and I'm declaring as well today, into your home, into my home, into our lives, into our church, that we, as the people of God, are prisoners of hope. We are constrained, tied down, constricted to hope, that we, no matter where we go, no matter what happens, hope is our anchor, the anchor for our soul that we cannot move away from. And this is so exciting because, actually, I really believe the, the big crux of the series as well, is the fact that, actually, every time God is preparing His people, Men and women alike, for promotion, for prestige, for power, for prominence, for a platform, it always seems to be on the other side of a prison. So I'm excited because actually I want to suggest today that maybe 2020 has been a bit of a letdown. Maybe it's been a bit of a letdown in a number of ways, in business, in emotions, and family, in security. As a Man United fan, whatever it is for you, maybe it's been a bit of a letdown, but here I want to tell you the good news that actually my thesis, my, my big idea that I want to bring across to you today is that in the hands of the promise maker, in the hands of the promise keeper, every letdown is a setup. Every letdown is a setup. You see in the Bible, between the dream and the destiny, there always seems to be a detour Or a whole lot of drama in the middle. Or put it a different way, between the promise and the palace, there always seems to be a process or a prison in the middle. God always does a preparing of His people through a tough journey. Because on the other side, He said, every letdown is a setup. And I'm already fired up and I'm already pumped to preach. So if you're watching online, I want to encourage you today to participate with me and preach to your own soul. We need this deep in our hearts. So why don't you type it in the chat now? Why don't you shout it out your window? Tell your neighbor. Say it out loud, write it down, whatever you need to do, but type it out now. It's a setup. Today is a day for a setup. So we're really excited. So if you're needing breakthrough, welcome to church. Today's your day for a setup. Let's pray. Father, I thank you as your word comes to us, your sons and daughters. I pray with absolute conviction today that dead hearts are starting to beat again. I thank you today, God that chains are starting to rattle. I thank you, God, that broken things are being made whole. In Jesus' name, freedom is coming to your people. I thank you, God, that no matter how far we have fallen, your grace goes further still, and you say every letdown is a setup for your grace. So, Father, come and have your way as we preach. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Helping me to preach today is the the joke story. The Joseph narrative, if you're unfamiliar, it's in Genesis chapter 37 to 50. Don't worry, we won't be reading all 13 chapters, but I'll be referencing the story because I think it's really helpful for us in the here and now. And the way I'm breaking it up is into three segments. And segment one, or chapter one today, is called The Promise. The Promise. You see, when we meet this man named Joseph in chapter 37 of Genesis, he is an arrogant prideful uh, young man. He's 17 years old. He's a tattletale. He's a snitch on his older brothers. He's got 11 older brothers. He's 12th in line, and uh, he's a, he's a suck-up to dad. And He becomes dad's favorite, and he's not afraid to show it. He puts on a coat that his dad gives him, a special coat of many colors. Uh, obviously, their fashion in those days was... Equivalent to the '80s because it was, it was LUMO in my in my understanding. It just it's just bright, it's bling, and he wears it, and this irritates and grinds his brothers to no end. But as I read this man Joseph, I look at this character, and I go, this young boy, at the at just as I look at him, he's irritating. He, he's an unlikable character as we first meet him, as we first come face to face with Joseph. He's unlikable. And I definitely just decided that if I was reading this for the first time, I'd go, This man is not a prime candidate for the blessing of God. This man is not a prime candidate for the promise of God over his life. But it's, it's this incredible understanding that to this man, as we steam through his narrative very quickly, it's to this guy as a 17 year old, God gives two powerful dreams. The first one is. Of 11 bales of grain bowing down to his bale of grain. And the second one is of the moon, the sun, and 11 stars bowing down to him. These dreams that in, 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 in the first, first glance seem a bit immature. They seem, what, what is going on at, at the first glance is all about him. But God gives this promise that he's going to do something great through Joseph. He doesn't understand the full picture. It's just a puzzle piece at this stage. But God is speaking destiny into this young man's life. And I want to say at this juncture that we serve a promise making and a promise keeping God. That's right. You gotta got know this, and we've got to remind our hearts that we serve a promise making and a promise keeping God. And his promises are not a respect of persons. And, and I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but maybe you've forgotten the promise, the blessing, the favor, the call of God in your life. Or maybe you've been crying out to God in the season, God, give me a word. Well, guess what, sir, ma'am? Your day has come. Here is the word from God, from me to you. God is speaking to you today. You are called. You are chosen. You are set apart for such a time as this. This is the word of God that needs to come to you. He knows the amount of hairs on your head. His eyes have never left you. He knew you, while you were, before you were formed in your mother's womb. Actually, if you keep reading Scripture, He knew you before the foundations of the earth, before creation itself. He knew you and chose you to be His. This is our God and His promise to you and I. And this is so massive because as I, as I was thinking about this day and age, this crazy time called 2020, with all the temptations and fears and anxieties, and I, I'm feeling so unequipped for this season, so unequipped for, for this world. I was starting to think, God in His wisdom as He looked at the timeline of eternity. He could have chosen Moses, the great Moses, this towering figure in biblical history. He could have chosen Moses to be living in this day and age. He could have chosen David, a man after God's heart, and put Him now to navigate these turbulent times. He could have chosen Peter or Paul or any of the disciples. But no, sir, ma'am, he chose you and he chose me in his wisdom. He said, I know, I'm not just to make up the numbers, not just where can I put them in in this grand timeline, in this grand scope of things. No, I'm going to take Gabe Phillips and I'm going to put him in this space, in this time, right now, for this day, because I want my glory to be shown through him. You are called, you are chosen, you are set apart for such a time as this. And I want to say, when you were born, when you were born, maybe your mom oohed and ahed, or maybe she groaned and cried out and wailed. Maybe the doctor said, oh, it's a boy, it's a girl, and he ticked it off and moved on. Maybe the social worker threw her hands up in despair and said, another mouth to feed. But I want to tell you, when you were born, God silenced all of heaven, lenten with excitement and whispered, the plan has begun. The plan has begun. The plan has been in his heart for all time. This is not some hyped up preacher trying to G you up or give you some emotional confidence. This is the promise of God, the word of God spoken to you today. This is your word. Receive it by faith. And maybe someone baited you to watch the scripture, uh, this, this sermon today. Maybe somebody said to you, hey, watch it. It'll, it'll be really encouraging. And as, as my face popped up, you saw a skinny redhead from Zimbabwe and it was a bit of a letdown. Well, here's the good news. Every letdown is a setup for God's grace. I want to tell you today is a day. It's a setup kind of day. You are set up for God to meet you and change your life. And I believe it starts now as we respond. You see, as we keep uh, reading the story, this narrative of Joseph. He gets these dreams immaturely, he tells his brothers, and they get really irritated. You can almost see them rolling their eyes. As I read scripture, I see them rolling their eyes, and I uh, can't believe he's saying this stuff and telling us this, these dreams. How, how embarrassing for Joe. But his brothers then, they respond terribly. They take him, and they plot to kill him. They, they have a, a big power and they, they agree on the lesser evil of throwing him in a pit. Literally, his brothers let him down. They let him down into a pit. And I want to say at this juncture, so often it's those closest to you who will let you down the most. It's those who you've entrusted, you think you've entrusted your future to, who will let you down the most. Maybe it'll be a spouse. Maybe it'll be your family, a parent, your boss, your pastor, a leader, your friend, your closest friend. It's the people who are closest to you who will hurt you the most. But I want to say in this moment, sir, ma'am, that you are not a prisoner to man's approval. You are not a prisoner to man's approval. Your heart is not dictated to Your future is not dictated by whether man applauds you or condemns you. Your future is dictated by the word and promise of God. You are a prisoner of his promises. What he has spoken will come to pass. His word will bear fruit of what has been sent forth to do. You see, the incredible thing is Joe sits in the bottom of this pit. I can imagine. He can't even see his hands and feet. He's feeling a bit beaten up and bruised and betrayed by his brothers. He's trying to see if there's any way out. And as he sits there in despair, all he had at the bottom of this pit, after they had stripped him of his coat, as they had dipped in blood to lie to his father, they say Joseph has died. He, is nothing. he has nothing. They've taken everything from him. As he sits there, all he has is the promise is the promise, is the dream that was placed by God in his heart. That's all he has left. But actually, for Joseph, that was enough. You see, he's sitting in the pit, and all of a sudden he hears some conversation up at the top. He hears uh, some noise. I can imagine him scramble to his feet and say, Oh, my help has come. One of the brothers has come to their senses. Maybe someone called Dad, and a rope's going to come down. I'm going to be able to go home. and Oh, well, give them what for. But as he looks up, he sees faces that he doesn't know. As the Bible tells us, some slave traders have come past, and one of his brothers has decided that actually they can make a quick buck out of Joseph, and they sell him. They sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver to these slave traders, and these slave traders take him into captivity. And and as I was just reading that, I I want to just make this quick statement that actually God's rescue plan for our lives hardly ever looks like what we think it should. For Joseph, he probably had a different idea of what rescue would look like, but in God's hand, he said the slave traders are going to be the ones that are going to take you on into the future. Listen in here, what we think is a detour often is the start of God's deliverance. That is so good, I think I need to say it again. Maybe you even need to write that in the chat right now. What we think is a detour, what we think is a delay, what we think is God taking us, as this man taking us on a different journey, is often God's start of deliverance in our lives. You see, every letdown is a setup. These slave traders take him all the way and he gets sold to a man named Potiphar. And he's this large and a charge Egyptian man who's a government official and obviously got a lot of political clout. And Joseph, a young 17-year-old boy, starts to work for Potiphar. Not his life's plan. Looking after the house, managing affairs in the home and getting things in order. And this is not part of his life's plan, but he starts to gain favor with Potiphar, gain favor with other people in the home. And another thing that he inadvertently gets is he gets favor from Potiphar's wife. As a middle-aged cougar, her eyes light up as she sees this young Hebrew boy. She says, I like Hebrew boys and I cannot lie. And then and, and she sees him and she starts to keep an eye on him. As Potiphar goes out, she starts to make flirty advances. But Joseph would brush it away because they are light at first and maybe just innuendos. He not can see past that. But they become more and more overt as she starts to try and win him over and get him, entice him to bed. And I wanted to say very clearly that there's two potential emotions that are gonna be at play in the season. Number one, disappointment, just like he faced in the pit, of being dropped by his brothers, let down by his brothers, let down by those closest to him, but also temptation. Because if the the enemy if he can't keep you down, he'll try and sway you away. If he can't keep you down, he'll try and drag you away and tempt you away. But I want to say, sir, ma'am, you are not a prisoner to your sin. You are not a prisoner to your lusts. You're not a prisoner to your addictions. You're not a prisoner to your flesh and the desires of your flesh. You're a prisoner of his promises. You are constrained by his promises. This is the great news that He tells, He promises us that there's no temptation that's come upon you that is too impossible to bear. He will always give you a way out. And He's told us that He sets the captives free. So if you are entranced by temptation and you find yourself saying yes when you wish you could say no or saying no when you wish you could say yes, you are not a prisoner to sin. You are a prisoner to His promises. And this is the good news of Jesus to you and I today. Receive it and believe it and start living in it. You see, the amazing thing is Joseph, how he responded to these temptations. These allures. the The Bible says it simply, and Joseph ran. He didn't try and convince her. He didn't try and argue with her. He just hightailed it out of there. He ran. And as he did that, he reached out and grabbed on his cloak and pulled it off and stripping him. And he just shook it off and kept running. He didn't even go back for the coat. He kept going. And as I read that, I noticed that actually his brothers, they stripped him of his coat before dropping him in the pit. This woman strips him of his coat before accusing him of trying to rape her, trying to take advantage of her. And I think that actually in this season, God is wanting to restore what the enemy has stolen. Maybe you have lost what, you're, through disappointment, people have ripped off the dreams, the destiny, the promises, and you feel that you have been betrayed and you, you're feeling let down. Maybe temptation and sin has ripped you of your dignity, has ripped you of what you believe God has called you to. God is a God who restores what the enemy steals. What the enemy means for evil, God will turn around for good. He is going to reclothe you and recloak you. And I believe that. I believe that's what he wants to do. Second big chapter. First, we've got the promise. Secondly, we secondly we've got the prison. The prison. You see what happens? He gets falsely accused. Potiphar comes home and Potiphar says, Actually, I'm gonna send you to jail. He goes to jail to the to the prison, the bottom of the bottom. It is the place where there's no place lower to go. For a Hebrew boy, a million miles away from his family. He's now in Egypt. In a foreign land, he's lost his family, he's lost his reputation, and now he's lost his freedom as he's plunged into the the darkest dungeon of the land. And in that moment, the Scriptures tell us that when he went to Egypt, he was 17, and eventually when he leaves prison, he's 30. This is no short moment. This is not just a a, a couple months stay. This is 13 years in Egypt. 13 years. The prime of his life given to, to serving another, given to sitting in a prison. But there's something powerful that actually what we think is there used to disqualify and put a full stop to the story. It's a prison, the lowest place he can go. The, there's nowhere, a place from this, and there's nowhere to go. We keep our reminder that every letdown is a setup for God's grace. In the hands of the promise maker, every letdown is a setup. You see, he finds himself in the prison. And I want to tell you, God's presence goes with him into the prison. Genesis 39 verse 23 says this profound statement. The master, Pharaoh, sent him to prison. And God went with him and showed him favor there. I, I just love that. The hands of man don't determine our future. God determines our future. God goes with us. And that's incredibly powerful because actually I see there a God who does not believe in social distancing. He doesn't remove himself away from us when we are disagreeable, when we've come to our end, when we don't have anything else to offer. He doesn't move away and say, sort yourself out. I'll come when your story makes a turn. No, he goes with us. When your kids are sick and you're rushing to the emergency room, he goes with you. When you're in your depressed state and you don't know how you're going to move and take the covers off your head, he goes there with you. When the debtors and the creditors, when the landlord is saying, I want to evict you, he is there with you. And this is massive. It says he is with you. It doesn't just say he is here. There's a difference between being with and having someone just there. I know this so often I'm accused of this at home, I'll be honest, that and you might know it when you're sitting there at home and you've had a long day and your kids and your family are are wanting your attention, you're there, but you're not with them. Your mind is on other things, you're thinking about other things, you're distracted. But this is not our God. Our God is not just here and distracted. He is with us. He is joined, inextricably linked towards us. His promises aren't just His words sent out. His promises is Himself going with us. The presence of the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and it's with you in your circumstance. It's with you in your moment of confinement. It's with you when the enemy was wanting to shrink you. He is with you. Secondly, in the prison, his His purpose is there in the prison. His purpose is there. Genesis chapter 40, verse 3, we're told that actually there's this cupbearer and a baker of Pharaoh, two prime positions in, in, the, in Pharaoh's administrative court. And the Bible says that they, for some reason, the cupbearer and the baker, they irritate Pharaoh to an end where Pharaoh throws them to prison. I don't know whether the baker was giving him gluten-free bread or the wrong sourdough or, or the, the cupbearer started to serve tussies. I'm not too sure what happened, but something went down that he sent these guys to prison But I love in chapter 40, verse 3, it says, And Pharaoh put them in the prison where Joseph was. Where Joseph was. You see, this whole situation, the purpose in in Joseph's prison, I want to suggest at this moment that you and I could be the set up for somebody else's let down. Their moments on their way down, they met God's man who was at the very bottom, ready to meet them in that moment. They're let down, Joseph came in and said, I'm gonna be a potential use for your setup. It's an incredible understanding that actually our circumstance can either be our perimeter or it can be our platform. It's just in the way we view it. But God can use it for his glory if we allow him to. And I wanna I wanna encourage us that it's the season for us to smash mirrors and replace them with windows. If you understand the analogy, too often as Christians, as human beings, we get obsessed, self-obsessed and looking in the mirror of self and seeing our imperfections, seeing where we fall short, seeing why our situation cannot be redeemed, why it's so too far gone. But God is saying, actually, there's purpose in your prison. It's not all about you. And he's smashing the mirrors and saying, replacing windows and saying, there are other people in the prison with you that I've placed you there for. This is the purpose that God is putting in place. And I I say it again, what looked like a detour, what looked like a dead end was the beginning of his deliverance. The prison that looked like the thing that would disqualify him was actually the place that would be his greatest opportunity for God to use him. This is what God does. God does this and these two guys come. And in the prison, they have these dreams. Uh, you can go read them in, in this chapter later, chapter 40. And, and they have these crazy dreams. And he interprets them to the cupbearer. He's got good news. He says, in three days, you're going to be restored to the palace of Pharaoh. And the baker comes to him and says, and me and Joseph truthfully, honestly, says, I'm interpreting your dream. In three days, the Pharaoh's going to call you out. But he's going to kill you, impale you on a stake. And he shares this news. And three days later, these things happen. These three things happen. One goes to his death, one goes up to back to Pharaoh's court. And as, as the, the cupbearer is leaving, Joseph yells out, Remember me! Don't forget about me down here. But what happens is again another letdown. As the cupbearer goes up, goes back to his office, and the Bible tells us, and he promptly forgot about Joseph. Chapter 41 tells us that two years go by, and this is the third understanding: of what God does in the prison, his preparation in the prison. Two years goes by, I don't know about you, but I would have kicked out of the story a long time ago. Maybe if you, maybe like, I would have been out of there in the pits. I'm like, with the brothers, cheers, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm giving up on that dream. Maybe in Potiphar's house, you're working hard, you think you're doing things digitally, you get falsely accused, then I'm out of it. Maybe for you, you're more holy, and you go into the prison. And then in that place, you start, inter- you, someone says, can you help me interpret my dreams? You're like, your dreams? What about my dreams? My dreams have come to nothing. Leave me alone. I'm out of there there. But Joseph has a different spirit because he understands that every letdown is a setup. He understands that we have a promise-making, a promise-keeping God, and he is a prisoner of the promise in that moment. Two years goes by, and he refuses to unplug from the source. And I feel this with conviction. Sir, ma'am, don't unplug. Maybe there's one of you at home watching and you're wanting to unplug from your marriage now. You're like, I can't do it anymore. You, you wanna, you say, I've just, that's the last straw. I've taken just too much. I'm up to here with it. You, you want to unplug from your emotions, unplug from your situation, unplug from life. And you're saying, I just can't do it. Don't unplug. Don't unplug. It's not a time to press reset. It's a time to allow the God of grace to say, every letdown is a setup for my grace. Don't unplug. Don't kick out. This amazing moment because actually uh, he starts, this moment comes, his moment comes of, of God starting to raise him up as Pharaoh eventually in chapter 41 hears about Joseph because Pharaoh has this dream, has these crazy dreams. And the cupbearer eventually, the light goes on and says, I remember there's a guy in the prison who can help you. So they call Joseph out, and Joseph, there's these three powerful words as he gets called out, he shaves, he changes clothes, and he presents himself to Pharaoh. I don't know about you, I come out, I would come out grumbling, you, know, you left me, the last guy, for the other guy, he betrayed me, no one believed me, now you're going to get me out when you need me, I'm going to come in my old clothes, I'm not going to get, no, he shaves, he cuts off anything of the old, because actually he says, I'm not defined by my 13 years that have passed, I'm not defined by my brother's betrayal, I'm not defined by man's approval, I'm defined by the promise of God, he's going to shave, and he's going to change his clothes and present himself to Pharaoh because he says, now is my moment to come, now my destiny is arriving, actually I'm ready for it because I haven't given up, I haven't let go of the promise. And the amazing thing that happens is that he is so impressive as he interprets this dream. He gives him a strategy for the nation. The Pharaoh, and Pharaoh loves it so much and thinks it's so genius. And, and Joseph said, this is not from me, it's from God. But oh, this, the whole story comes to a culmination with Pharaoh making him second in charge of the entire nation. And with that, I say, how does a 17-year-old, an arrogant Little 17-year-old in the backwater town of Israel. How has he moved to Egypt, the most powerful nation of the day, and in 13 years become the second in command over a whole nation? How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you. It happens that his life was held in the hands of the promise maker where every setback, every letdown is actually a setup. Chapter 3, the last one for today, is the power. We have the promise, we have the prison, and then finally we have the power. And you see the story comes to an even greater end as Joseph's years go by and the famine hits the land and Egypt have resources available because Joseph had the strategy from God. The brothers in Israel who have thought he is dead, forgotten about him, and then have been mourning with his father for all these years, they come back to Joseph and as they, they get to Egypt to come and ask for assistance, to come and ask for aid, not knowing it's their brother, they sit before him. And then uh, he has a spoiler alert. Eventually, in chapter 43, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and says, it is I. After playing with them and their emotions, eventually he says, it is I. And he removes the headdress, removes the makeup, and they go, it's Joseph, the brother who he thought was dead. And it's this incredible moment. There's one verse in Genesis 43, verse 5. He says this, describing the situation to his brothers. He says, you sold me into slavery, comma. Like imagine at that moment, their heads dropped Thing, yep, that's right. There's no greater description of the situation. It's our fault. He says, you sold me into slavery. Not buttering up the past, not f- just moving it away, not pretending it didn't happen, taking ownership of it. it. says, you sold me into slavery, comma, God sent me here to be your rescue. Oh, I love this scripture. God sent me here to preserve your lives. I love that scripture, and I've underlined it in my Bible. And I want to ask you, sir, ma'am, what side of the comma are you living on? Joseph had every right in that moment to be living on that side of the comma. You guys sold me to slavery. What am I going to do about it now? And to show his might and, and betray them and hurt them and, and bring them to, to, to nothing, bring them to naught. But he was a man who was a prisoner to his promise. Not a prisoner to his pain. Not a prisoner to his prejudice. Not a prisoner to where they let him down. But actually to the promises of God. So he was able to see what God was doing and saying, yes, though, this happens, comma, But God actually was over it all, and He sent me here to preserve your lives. This is massive because actually for my family, we lost our property in Zimbabwe. Over nearly 20 years ago, we lost our homes, we lost our future, we lost our inheritance, we lost our, our friends, we lost that life. Comma, God sent us here to South Africa to be a part of a different future. To forge a different destiny. To forge different families. To fight for different futures. Both are true. But I'm going to choose to live on this side of the comma. I used to be a porn addict. A teenager who was, who was wrapped up and chained to pornography. Comma. God set me free so that my testimony can break the chains of addiction in your life, in other people's lives. Which side of the comma are we going to live on? We have to choose in this moment which side of the comma, because I believe that God is writing the story, but we get to choose the headline. Joseph could have chosen which headline would be the headline over his life, but he determined that God sent me to preserve lives. God sent me to save your nation. God sent me to redeem your family. Which Headline, are you going to live? Which headline is going to be the one over our lives? You see, every letdown is a setup. I believe it, I believe it, and we need to believe it as well. You see, the story finds its conclusion with Joseph in Egypt, in a foreign land, through all these ups and downs, having two children. He names them Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh, the incredible thing, these two kids born to him in a foreign land, Manasseh means God has relieved me of my debt Ephraim meaning and has made me fruitful. What a statement, what a declaration, what a headline over his life that actually God has relieved me of what has gone behind me and he has made me fruitful. In the pit, in the pot of his house, in the prison, God has prepared me for my future and actually God has used this and and set me up for a victory because every setback, every letdown is a setup for God's grace. This is the powerful thing and and I want to land this moment by telling you that actually this whole sermon is a setup to get to this moment. You've been set up. I've told you this whole story to get to the main point, to get to the greatest moment, and it's not going to be a letdown, sir, ma'am, if you're ready for it. Because actually, I want to tell you the promise maker and the promise keeper is not one who shouts it from a distance. He's one that comes close. He gets into the very dust with us, he gets into the very broken with us, brokenness with us, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus is all over Joseph's story. Maybe not mentioned by name, but he's there. You see, just like Joseph, Jesus was his father's favorite. Just like Joseph, Jesus was sent to his brothers who would betray him and reject him. Just like Joseph, Jesus had the cloak stripped from him. The the original language is a seamless garment, just the same word used of Jesus' garment at the cross, but stripped of him and then dipped in blood. Jesus, just like Joseph, was sold and betrayed for pieces of silver. Jesus Just like Joseph was lowered into the pit, was left alone to die, and in the darkness in that moment, two other men came and stood on his left and his right. Two thieves, like just on the cross, just in the pit, in the dungeon with Joseph. It's the same thing. There's two thieves on either side, and one of them gets set free, and one of them gets condemned. Just like Joseph, the incredible thing about Jesus is as Joseph stands in that pit, the cupbearer deals with the wine. The baker deals with the bread. Even in Joseph's lowest moment, the bread and the wine were there with him. The the body and the blood was there with him. It's all over the story, sir, ma'am. And just like Joseph, Jesus eventually was raised up and given the, the second place of command, given the right hand of authority. This is the amazing thing. Jesus is a greater picture of Joseph. Jesus' life is all over Joseph's story. Every up and every down, and I want to say even greater than all, is that Jesus' life and fingerprints are all over your story. He's never left you. He's never betrayed you. He's never walked away. His promises still remain. Though though 10,000 fall in your and right. I will still trust in Him. Though they slay me, I will still praise Him. Because Jesus is still with us. Jesus is the promise maker. And because of Him, every letdown is a setup for His grace. On Good Friday, Jesus was betrayed, hung on a cross, and left to die. And as He died, it was the greatest letdown in history. As He gave out His breath, everyone thought, turned their heads away and thought, It is over. It is done. We are finished. But then... Heaven started to count. One, all humanity didn't know what to do. They thought we had been left to our own devices. We're in the pit, we've been betrayed, we've been left alone, we don't know where to turn. Two, another day had gone and no closer to redemption. But then all of heaven shouted with a loud breath, three, and on the count of three, Jesus rose from the dead, declaring evermore that actually all over humanity, that because of Jesus, every letdown is always a setup for his glory. It's always a setup for his grace, that he can take every prison and make it into a promise. He can take every prison and turn it for his power. He can do it in the. Life you can do in my life because of Jesus, because He conquered the grave, we can live in victory no matter what is around us. I want to land this moment by giving you an opportunity to receive the grace of Jesus for the first time, for the hundredth time. Right now, if you are responding to Him, if you're in your situation saying, I need breakthrough in your soul. Your soul has been sick with sin and you don't know how to get free. Today is the day of breakthrough. Today is a day of freedom. If you have been worried and in depression, you don't know how to get out of the pit, if you've been weighed down by temptation, if your life, your marriage, your relationships, your emotions, or your finances are dead ends, and you say, I need Him, I need the God of the breakthrough, let me say, sir, man, right now, type it in the chat. Why don't you respond on the LifeChangersChurch.tv. Give your life to Jesus. I'm going to count to three, and then I'm going to pray a prayer of faith that's going to come and intersect your life right now. So just like Jesus, one, two three respond to him right now lift your hands in your homes click on the links type in the chat right now say I receive I receive I receive because the life of Jesus is coming in there right now Heavenly Father I pray over every person responding right now, I thank you. No matter how far they have fallen, no matter how far they've been betrayed, no matter how deep their, their sin goes, I thank you. Your grace goes deeper still. And in your hands, every letdown is a setup for your grace to come and I thank you would you do this in Jesus' name. I declare it right now. Return to your strongholds, you prisoners of hope, no longer prisoners of pain, no longer prisoners of their past, no longer prisoners of their prejudice, no longer prisoners of fear, failure, or all their frustrations. I thank you, Father God, that we are prisoners to your promises because we serve the promise maker, the promise keeper who takes every letdown, and turns it into a setup for your grace and for your glory. And to this end, we say, Amen, Amen, Amen.